and you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Javelin Richards. Welcome to Cover to Cover. I am your host, Javelin at Javelin's Bistro here on KPFA. And today at the Bistro with Javelin, I'm going to be bringing you theater. As you know that my time here at KPFA when I'm sharing with you is theater, literature, performance art of different shapes and forms. Today, theater. And particularly at Z-Space happening in San Francisco until June 29th, the play that's running is a lesson from aloes and that's aloes the plant and that was written by Anthal Anthal Fugard he is a South African playwright and he worked a lot inside of exposing racist attitudes in South Africa starting in the 60s up into current time and I first heard the program um, the, around this play when I was listening to one of my cohorts Chris Welch talk about the piece and she was talking to the male actor it's a three-person play and she was talking to the actor uh, Victor Talmadi if I'm pronouncing it right and I was interested in the word trust so we have this play set in South Africa during this very intense time uh, set doing apartheid South Africa following a liberal white Africana who believes in resistance his unsettled English wife struggling with the personal cost and a black activists who has everything to lose, painting a poetry of loyalty, race, sanity and survival under an oppressive government. And I became intrigued with the word trust in the interview that Chris Welch was having and how we began to trust each other under political, po- politically challenging times as we are in today. How do we trust our allies, ourselves, our uh, the people around us when it is Uh, troubles our soul our spirit and so at that point i wanted to interview the the actress that plays the the wife an english character who is unsettled by her husband's decision to fight apartheid so i went to see the play and it runs until the 29th of june and uh, her name in the play is gladys benza Denthout, and the actress playing uh, her is Wendy Vanden Hovell, and she'll correct that if I did not get her pronunciation of her last name. She's on the line with us now, and we'll talk for the next 20-some minutes about her life as an actress, her, her role in this play, and anything else that she'd like to share with us. Wendy, hello. Welcome to Javelin's Bistro on Cover to Cover. Hello, Javelin. Nice to be here. Thank yes. you for having me. Absolutely. So the first, is there anything about the play that I might have missed an introduction that you would like to share? Um, I think the only thing I would say is that all three characters, what's interesting, like what you said, was one is an Afrikaner, one is a British colonialist, and one is a Native African of mixed race. Um, colored is how they put it Um, but that all three of them are suffering from trauma under this 
unjust system of apartheid, right? Um, and uh, I think that the three races are held is also very key to the play, um, kind of showing that, you know, apartheid is a system that affects everyone. Uh, so that's all I wanted to add at this point, but they're all suffering from trauma of their own kind, right? Absolutely. Um, and I was particularly interested with what you said about trust, because my character actually is the one that I think suffers the most from mental breakdown and paranoia and trust. Um, she doesn't trust anything anymore, right? Yes, and that um, was what I witnessed watching the play, the the very complicated character. And very, de- de- what my experience was as an audience member watching it was that we can't quite figure out what's happening for her in the midst of the overview of what's going on. There's some very details, parts of her that, that shows up in in her idiosyncrasies that makes that made me as an audience member aware that there was something deeper she was struggling with in relationship to apartheid. There was other things she was struggling with as a woman. Um, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, I think what she's gone through, just to give a little bit of backstory, is um, living with her husband, who's part of the cause, the movement. Um, against apartheid, uh, their house was broken into before the play begins. And she kind of, I see her more as like the artist of the, the trio. Um, she keeps diaries for 10 years, and these diaries are like an integral part of her identity. And uh, the special branches come in and thinking that perhaps there's political things in those diaries, they confiscate them and they never give them back. And it's as if she experiences it as, a, as if it's a rape, a violation. And she, it's, it's a little bit that her identity was somehow stolen from her and has a mental breakdown. And, um, and that is, she's, you know, the day that the play starts, I feel that she's attempting to manage that state of existence, right? Until the very end of the play in which she can't manage it anymore. Yes, um, and having so, her diary stolen from her, what it appears to, for me, and I was there with the another person, and we discussed afterwards, as you said, she she aligns that with the rape and we talked about that being the memories 10 years of memories the details of what yes. has been happening and what you feel is important in your life at that time and then to have that confiscated is a removal of and even to trust yourself like did that really happen well if you can refer back to may of this particular year you can say it did happen because i here it is there i documented it and so a removal. Yes, and there's a beautiful line in the play where she says um, something about how the they weren't just laundry lists. There were very intimate and personal details in those diaries, things a woman only talks about to herself. Even then, I had a lot of um, trouble with trust and courage to do that. So the, the intimacy of these things she put in the diaries were so intimate that even to herself, 
they took courage to come out. And that somebody else might have them is a violation of such a deep spiritual order that goes almost, for me, sometimes I imagine it beyond the body, right? Yes. Somebody infiltrated into her soul, into her spirit, into her deepest, deepest inner core. Mm-hmm. And that's the violation. And I think that's a great example of what apartheid does to people. That that kind of a system mm-hmm. can have that kind of effect. That I- it can touch you that deeply. And how criminal it is, really. Right? Yes, and also, too, I th- when I was reading about the playwright Fugol and his being, he was born in South Africa, and I... Th- Apple Fugard, yeah. Yeah, and he said that he credits his ex- uh, a lot of who he is to his mother, right? And yeah. that she yeah. gave him his soul. And I thought about that as we're now unraveling and looking at the children being separated from their mothers. And I thought how, what is happening to their soul? And what is, if it's true, if we just hold for it true as a listening audience that a mother hands a child their soul and then they develop that soul, of course. But if the if a child is removed, so so this play is is applicable to this moment in terms of the playwright's experience and how to come to even write about uh, uh, injustices and racial biases in his country to be able to rise within that and to know that that he felt he needed to write to make right what was wrong apartheid, and and reading that as I was preparing to talk with you, Wendy, I thought ah, and all the children right now that's been removed from their mothers at a time when they that is was, so true yes because also this yeah, the play. Is being said this very timely right now here in the United States, not just for the removing children from their parents, but racism that we're experiencing right now. That uh, it's not that it's not always been there, but it's taking on this vibrancy that the people were jumping out of bushes with racist thoughts, jumping out of your grocery bag with racist thoughts and attitudes. Uh, and so this is timely as, as, as such. Explain to us again, because I know on Chris's show that that I heard them talking about what why aloe. Why did he uh, use aloe? What is the significance of an aloe plant? And the show opens with the stage filled with aloes. It's quite intriguing. And I saw some of the audience members walking up afterwards just looking at the aloes. What is the aloe experience for us to uh, hear? So the aloes, that whole set was created by a wonderful set designer named Deb O. Um, but the aloes themselves, um, they represent, you know, aloes are a healing plant, right? They have, uh, inside of them is the thing that can heal. And they also are plants that survive without water in a desert climate for, you know, they're the last things. I think Pete talks about it, this character, Pete Bazin, who he talks about how the last thing remaining from his farm that was, you know, in a drought for four years were the aloes. They survive. And at one point, my character says, uh, is that the price of bitterness? Is that the price of survival in this country? thorns and bitterness, you know, because he says maybe the aloes have something to teach us. So it represents both this healing 
plant, um, and he keeps them in these jam tins, right? They they usually grow out in in the desert in the veld. The veld is what they call the valley or the veld in um, South Africa. But he's keeping them at home in jam tins, and it upsets him that the roots are trapped in there, and that um, they keep growing though, even though they're trapped. Um, they're unfettered by this kind of confinement. So there's so many um, analogies, allegories, metaphors to be had about apartheid, South Africa, survival, healing um, within the play. And the aloe is really this beautiful um, plant that holds all of it. And at the end of the play, you know, Pete is the one who holds the hope for the country to somehow, someday find its footing among its differences. And he's out in the yard when everything has kind of fallen apart in the play, lighting a candle to learn more about his aloe, the plant that he can't name, right? He finds a plant that he can't identify. Yes, which is nameless. His- which is his quest throughout the play and and we as I'm listening to you opening up that that definition a little bit more for me in hindsight of watching the play it also speaks to the different forms of oppression so as he's seeking out this what is this one aloe plant that it and there's so many different ones it also speaks to so many different ways that people humanity is oppressed and each one survives in its own way and he's seeking out this one particular that he can't name so that has a certain kind of oh what does it mean deeper like he, he can't name this form of oppression that's surviving among all the other named oppression that's occurring mm. around him. Mm. I have a, a couple things I want to talk to you about yourself as the actress. You were, first of all, very compelling in that role, I must say. Thank you. Yes, and there's some very small, delicate movements that you use as an actress that speaks loudly for the for myself and those around me that was witnessing that. So you, so I was interested in. How did you approach this this role? Here, your character is married to a man who is uh, believes is liberal, and he's he's fighting for this here, and it doesn't settle well for you, and is is weighing heavily on your own emotional health. How did you approach the role? Well, funny enough. One of the reasons I wanted to do the play was because I uh, lost my mother recently, um, about a year ago, and to mental illness, for one thing. But the play speaks very loudly to me, and the role spoke very loudly to me in relationship to everything that I'd gone through with her. Um, so there was a core there for me that I felt very strongly that I wanted to tap into and that was inside me, right? The understanding of that. And um, and then I will say definitely that Timothy Neer, our director, helped so much in all of us in relationship to guiding us um, through the nuances of the character and their objectives and what they were looking for and what they, what was going on in the scenes. And we all collaborated together, but she was a very integral part, um, of that experience. And then, um, 
I feel like Gladys is really interesting in relationship to a character in terms of understanding her because she really is the one who holds the line in the play that this this could never work. What What's being attempted here in terms of the country, South Africa is a bad experiment. <laughs> She's not racist, um, but she is... I would say almost not nihilist, but she is the one who really holds this line of she just is full of doubts and she never feels that this experiment of South Africa could ever, ever work. And she wants to leave the country. That is her um, real solution to all of this is that, you know, let's get out of here. Um, So that type of uh, fragmentation, the doubts that she has, all of that was, it was very interesting for me to go into, but a lot of it, I work a lot with the script. You know, I think all the actors do, and Timothy for sure, just like so into Applegard's play to see, to kind of like the treasure hunt, right? So, what are we going to find in here? Wendy, tell us, tell me more about when you say this experiment will not work. What exactly does that mean? What experiment? Tell us, because maybe I'm missing something from the political times that apartheid was happening in terms li- listening to the language of experiment. Tell me more about that. What was you know, the she's into, it, She doesn't think that the, the, the Africans, Afrikaners, English, the, the whole, those different races living together is never going to work. Um, she feels that the country and the apartheid situation, the government is unjust. Everything is pulling against that. And she just has no faith. There's no faith left. Nothing. And Pete, on the opposite end of that, right, holds the faith that something will work, that this will turn around, the government will turn around, people will find a way to live together. Um, We actually are having a talk back on the 24th of September at our matinee with a group called Teach with Africa that is a beautiful example of you know, I think Pete's vision, which is, you know, they're bringing educators from South Africa over here and sending educators from here over to South Africa um, to really kind of open minds and learn to work with the next generation that has been ravaged by apartheid, right? And find different ways of educating and different, um, you know, to, to kind of increase consciousness about education, um, going into the schools and stuff. But Gladys, like Gladys, and I think a lot of your it phone is, has to do with Wendy, mental illness. W- Wendy, pay, yes. be mindful, your phone is making beeping and you're coming just a little bit out. You're probably on a cell phone, correct? I am, sorry. Okay, so just be um, really mindful. Is that better? Yeah, it's better, but it was making clicking sounds and it's always hard for our listeners the, because we're, you're, you're, you're sharing some really wonderful uh, information and I don't want them to be taken away from that with any distraction of the sound. So just be aware of that. I appreciate Aye. it. Okay, and so you were saying that there will be this exchange of South Africans in here and Amer- uh, Americans will be going over there to to discuss and teach a new generation and inform consciousness uh, with the intent. Yeah, and to, 
it's and mostly centered around education for young children and uh, you know students. Um, but it's a it's a great like that to me feels like something making a really integral change into the apartheid system and. Gladys, my character, for instance, like she has no faith left. She's kind of given up. But I think a lot of that has to do with her illness, right? And her paranoia. And in the beginning of the play, it talks, you know, he based these characters on real people. Um, Fugard did. Mm -hmm. And one of them, the woman, Gladys, who he based it on, uh, something like this happened to her. And she developed a case of paranoia. You know, she couldn't hold a job because she felt that people were, like, you know, working for the secret branch of the police and going to get secrets from her. And so part of her nihilism, I would say, has to do with her illness. Um, but, you know, that's... That's, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there now who feel lack of hope in what we see every day on the news. I mean, just being watching the news, I was watching CNN last night about the kids. It's just like, it's it, it, we're in it for the long run. It's like an endurance run, you know, and there are days where it's just, it's too much. It's like one thing after the other. The environment, where do you, where do you focus? And... Um, and with, as the and circles, the circles that I move in, I think that some of the themes that come up in this play is accurate. There are people who literally are suffering from depression. I talk with people and they say they're depressed, that they are, exactly, and that they feel hopeless, they're confused and angry, and that they don't trust. They don't trust uh, some of the people that they've called their their family and friends who may have voted differently, who may be part of the polls that's taken us that people still believe in, in uh, who's running the country, who doesn't trust some of the things that's being said on this network or that network. So it's bringing up a lot of the same similar pieces that he was addressing in his piece that started in South Africa. And then I think it's important to to say out loud that during that particular time I read that a lot of South African advocates and fighters really was looking at the civil rights movement here in the United States and getting right. and getting courage to yeah. have voice so there's this relationship of back and forth and I think that's a global thing when when other countries see other uh, people that are being oppressed rising and speaking and saying that they too find courage and hope as well as find some of the particular details of unhappiness, depression, mental health and anything that one comes into the picture with an illness will will become larger than that in particular if you're paranoid. So that being said, yes. has this has your character informed you or current it informed you in any particular way in terms of the political current systems here in America, like you said, you was watching the news. How has this character been in relationship with you as a woman in the United States? What lens? Has it shifted anything? Has it? Have you noticed a change in you? Um, you know, I've always been pretty political, so in that sense, I don't feel the change. But what I do feel is like uh, just watching the news. I'm like the coral, you know, the, 
how this play was written in the 80s, but it takes place in 1963 South Africa, and the resonances of what's going on in this country today are just phenomenal. From the what's going on in, with race in this country and the police, from the Me Too movement with women in terms of being violated, from uh, you know just. Trump and his government and the lies that are being told. I mean, you know, last night it said that he couldn't make an executive order, and today he's making an executive order. What happened, right? Mm-hmm. Lie. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. So what do you trust? And and then, you know, my husband switches back from Fox News to CNN to see what's going on. And it's just like, who? what do you believe? And I love, you know, I recall back Kellyanne Conway with her alternate facts. I mean, that kind of language, I mean, we are living in a time that is so um, full of lies that you could, what I love about this play, I think, and because I think we're infiltrated with so much media about Trump, 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 this play and Fugard in, in specific, I think, I guess to answer your question, Dublin, is is Fugard writes with such a deep humanity that I actually feel why this play is so important now in relationship to being heard is, is there is deep understanding in each of these individuals in relationship to what's going on in the government. So you're not getting you know, bombarded by sound bites and news media and social media and computer and all of these sites. You're actually sitting in a room and really listening to the deep effects of a, this kind of a system on human beings and his writing holds that in it. And because it is South Africa, I think it's helpful as a lens for us to see what's going on in our country kind of almost as a in a distant way right like we're not like it's not a play about trump so i'm hearing more trump more trump it's i'm able to kind of sit back and reflect on what's going on rather than kind of be in kind of reaction inflammation reaction is what i call it what's going on today everybody's inflamed and reactional um and what so was it? that, I feel, has changed for me. I feel that it's been a blessing to be able to dive deep into these people, into this story, into his writing, and to feel the, the depth of, of, of what these things really, how they affect people's lives. What I also can appreciate about the play, too, is that it is about three people and you you have an opportunity in the midst of trust. You get a chance to see their relationship, how it started, the funness of it, the brittle spaces of it, the strengths of it, the protection of their relationships, all while the question of trust exists between them. But it's, it's almost like looking yeah. at a, a, a photograph, photo book, where you can look at the, the the memories that they've shared at one particular time before all this 
chaos has fallen into their laps and all these changes are about to be made. And that's really powerful to see how happy, particularly the second half of the play, where the two male characters first encounter one another when he comes to visit after all of this dialogue about whether they will show up, the family show up, and without giving it away, then suddenly it ha- parts of it happens and the vibrancy of the, the two male characters the black african and the and the white africana how they they experience each other in those moments of memory yes it's so beautiful it's huge they have they are they are best friends right they are the closest of friends beyond beyond the politics and they the love, love each other. The deeply. love is real clear, which is is really rare in that case to see. And I think that's what it's asking us all. How do we remain loving to one another? How do we remain connected? How do we hold the memories? And in her case, all her memories were taken. So this is playing at Z space as we end our conversation. I want to appreciate you for sharing this time. Uh, and so, thank you so much. Yes. Z space in San Francisco runs to June 29th. And this is a lesson from aloes three-person play with all persons involved in this here from south africa to the united states get your tickets and you can get it www dot now what is it do you know wendy to see yes it's www.alessonfromallows.com or on the website at zspace and go and enjoy and that's zspace.org zspace as just z thank you Wendy for spending this time with us I've been your host Javelin Javelin's Bistro Uh, I'll see you next time bye bye listeners friends comrades thank you for coming to KPFA's author events thereby supporting KPFA as well as many independent progressive writers This is Bob Baldock, assuring you that Ken Preston, Catherine Horsley, and I will again this fall be offering you remarkably inexpensive seats to hear and meet such relevant writers as philosopher Martha Nussbaum, Chris Hedges with his new book, America, The Farewell Tour, Dee Dee Guttenplan of The Nation magazine, Michael Lerner of Tikkun, the profoundly wonderful Alice Walker, Peter Phillips and Mickey Huff of Project Censored, Buddhist teacher Joan Halifax, brilliant historian Adam Hochschild, Mideast expert Reese Ehrlich, 